What's a Revolution? The show for men and the people who love them, where we discuss how men can understand and embrace a healthier masculinity. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. There I was sitting on a couch on my couch, watching the Oscars, anxiously awaiting the presentation of the Best Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture Award. I, like many, had succumbed to the early hype and went to see Moonlight when it first came out. In fact, I used seeing the movie as a vehicle to squell my anxiety about the contentious elections that were taking place that day. Moonlight, although quiet and slow, captivated me. You see, at the core of who I am is a developmental psychologist who has investigated the development of masculinity in young black boys. Thus, watching the movie was a visual feast for me, as many of the themes apparent in the movie highlighted my work over the last 20 years. Hypermasculinity, hetero and homosexuality, and the influence of context on development. Yet, what has been missing in my work was illuminated throughout the movie. Vulnerability, its stifling presence, and its overwhelming absence throughout the movie. As I awaited the end of the movie to see what was to come of the two characters' dalliance, what was clear is that in our deepest, darkest moments, it is not hypermasculinity that we as men must exhibit, it is vulnerability. As Marhashala Ali proceeded to the stage and gave his acceptance speech, one of humility, grace, and reverence, I allowed myself to be vulnerable, to let a teardrop signaling a sign of respect for his craft and the young brothers who depicted Chiron's struggle, and to signal that it was, at least for that moment, a time for me to let go and feel everything all of my joy, all of my pain, and all of my struggles. Today on the show, I am joined by Jonathan Sprinkles, America's Connection Coach, Houston's 40 Under 40, and voted one of America's best keynote speeches, speeches, speakers, excuse me. Jonathan delivers straight talk, sprinkled with laughs. He's a television personality, featured columnist, author of 10 books, and a leading authority on connection strategies for leaders and achievers. Jonathan, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm telling you, you read my intro better than I do. <laughs> oh, man, come on, man. Uh, I'm sure that my audience is anxiously awaiting to hear what you've got to say, brother. Um, we ask every guest the first question. What's your revolution? I couldn't hear the last you say, what's my what? What's your revolution? What's my revolution? Um, my revolution has been that uh, it started when my parents divorced when I was young. I was about four or five years old. I lived with my mom and my two sisters above my grandmother in South Central Los Angeles. If you know about South Central LA, what your kids to be, and they took me with And we became close, so close. I called him my best friend and my soulmate. And uh, we, he, I learned something from him every day. We had conversations that were not consistent with the age that I was. We were talking like two grown men. And <clears throat> as much as I enjoyed being a child and we would laugh and joke about the silliest things, we'd also talk about deep 
experiences like metaphysical um, uh, meditation and things that were deeply spiritual and I, I didn't know at the time none of my were happening. Well, that was great. It was just a reflection of just how silly we can be, but also how instantly deep we can be. And because of that, I, became, I grew up really fast. Our conversations were, were fantastic. We were talking about things like meditation. We were listening to Dr. David Viscott, who was a psychotherapist. That's, that's just what we did. We listened to sermons on the on tape at the time, and that's just what we did. We also had a lot of jokes and laughs, and, you know, he was just my best friend. That was my boy. Well, you fast forward a few more years, he got sick and developed cancer, and that's why I had to move from California to Texas. My mother had come out here to, to uh, get her Ph.D. from the University of Texas, and so that's how I moved, and I've been here ever since. Well, fast forward it just one more time. Around age 15, my freshman year in high school, my father passed away from cancer. And because of that, a piece of me also passed away. I thought that he was going to get better. I thought that he was going to be back. I thought that everything was going to be back like it was before. But what happened as I dealt with it, I, I did not truly process what had happened. So although he died when I was 15, I would never admit to anybody until I was 25 that he had actually died. I would lie to people. I would say, when people would say, how's your dad? I'd say, he's just fine, because in my mind, he was. He was in heaven. Say, have you talked to him recently? Yep, I sure did. I'd talk to him all the time in my head, and I'd tell him about my day. And although I was hurting and didn't know it, I, I, I was developing something that Dr. Brene Brown calls numbing. I thought that I had just learned how to be hard, be strong, be a man, to just deal with it. But Dr. Brown taught me that that scenario of numbing is what happens when people just turn everything off and you become just a fraction of who you were. What I thought was strength was actually my desire to avoid being vulnerable and ever being hurt again. So it wasn't until I was 19 and I had a spiritual revolution in which I had a greater relationship with God that I was able to turn some of these things around and let go of some of those pain and hurt and be willing to open myself up again. But you better believe it has been a journey ever since. There's something you can't be, you can't be healed until you first know that you're sick. And so my life work now has been connection and helping people to get connected to themselves and then get connected to the world around them. Brother, that's a, that is a beautiful thing, man. And thank you for detailing that story about your relationship with your father and then the experiences that you had afterwards. Let's unpack that for a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, do you think that that numbing that Dr. Brown talks about, that numbing that you were having, had anything to do with you being a young black man growing up trying to figure out your way? Yeah, it did. Absolutely it did. Because at the time, there was no Barack Obama to look at. There wasn't anything but gangsters and gangster rappers. There was athletes. But there really wasn't a, a whole lot of positive models. I remember watching TV searching like I was looking for gold or something, like it, like I was on a treasure hunt, just looking for somebody who looked like me and reminded me of me. 
but I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. Now, I'm not saying that it wasn't out there. I'm just saying I didn't know how or where to find it. And so when, when I was living in Austin, Texas, unfortunately, the type of town that it was back then, if you were in a nice restaurant, you knew who worked there. You knew who patronized there. You knew who owned it. And those people didn't look like you. And if you were looking at somebody in a nice car, you knew who was driving, and it wasn't somebody who looked like you. So my image of what blackness was was unfortunately very poor, and so I associated blackness with being inferior. Not consciously. I didn't say black is bad, but I didn't have many reasons to believe that it was good. And so being a black man trying to find other black men who were representative of what I what I wanted to be, that was a really big challenge. But here's the real twist, though. My mother was studying to get her Ph.D. So it's not like I was coming up in poverty and not like I had a bunch of drug abuse or, or gangs all around me. But black men are so hungry to find some models, something that they can latch on to, that would just give them some options. Options. That, that, there you go. Uh, options. Keep going, brother. Keep telling this story. Basketball, they, football doesn't give you options. You see almost as a, more so then than now. You didn't see people who were entrepreneurs. You didn't see people who were family men. All you saw was a guy who was either a player or he was a player, if you understand what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, I got you. I know definitely, brother. He was playing something. Uh, so that's all that you really saw. And so you can't really aspire to be something that you've never seen. And that was a big portion of my journey. And I was really looking to find something or someone who I could believe in. So, Jonathan, you, I'm, I'm going to make this assumption that you grew up in the Cosby era at some point, correct? Yes. And so um, I'm 46 years old. So growing up, what, what we saw in that era was this two-parent household. We saw uh, Cliff Huxtable and Claire Huxtable. We saw Cliff being the father, being that role model. But I move it forward to today and what I what our young men and what our young fathers are seeing. Do you watch Blackish? I've seen it. I don't have any shows that I see consistently, but I have seen Blackish. Well, the, the reason why I bring that up is because as we begin to look at models, um, there aren't there still aren't many models of men exhibiting vulnerability where our young boys or even men can see. And so Blackish with Anthony Anderson is really interesting. And my producer and Rachel and I talk about this at length is that Anthony Anderson is probably the most vulnerable black male figure that we have on TV right now because he shows as a black father and as a black male the inconsistencies, the incongruencies, the flawed nature that we are as men. But he embraces those things. And, and what we get to see each week is a father who is growing, who loves his children, who loves his wife, who loves his own mother and father, but goes through these vulnerable nations, vulnerable states. And it's interesting because in a couple of weeks we're going to have a, a show on uh, mental health and well-being. And one of the episodes was, was about him going to therapy. And therapy can be one of the most vulnerable experiences that men, women, anybody can have, but particularly for black men, because it is that space where mm, I don't know if I trust you. I don't know if I can really open up to tell you about those experiences of racism and discrimination or the inability to find those models that I'm looking for, the inability for me to be able to lay my head on my, my partner's shoulder or leg and cry because that's not there. 
But what we saw in that episode was him be able to really look for and diagnose where he was where his blind spots were. So it's a really interesting thing as we as black men look for spaces to be vulnerable and look for these models, because as you just said, we may not always see them. And I'm sure you've seen the crying Jordan meme and how that is, you know, looked upon as something is weak. Oh, you're crying, Jordan. Jordan's weak. Well, we know Jordan is probably, you know, one of the most prolific players and one of the, probably the most masculine basketball players that we have seen. Um, but that perception of masculinity. So let me ask you the next question, Jonathan. Why is it do you think that the perception of black masculinity and vulnerability do not coincide? Well, we weren't bred to be that. Literally bred. Tell me a time when it would have been acceptable for us to be that mm. in the history of us being in America. So, by the way, we're not the only culture that's like this. Right, exactly. Our, our culture is unique in that our... When we <coughs> immigrated here, <laughs> I mean, I didn't hear you. Can you say that again? You were breaking up. What? <laughs> that when we immigrated here, uh, uh, we, we were we were brought in for a time. However, um, it is true that with us, vulnerability meant death because you had to be strong, you had to be emotionally detached. You were not allowed to love your wife, your child, and if we ever were caught doing that, then we would be removed from our family, even to the point where they would make a pact and say, we're going to pretend like we're not that close. Well, if you do something long enough and strong enough, it eventually becomes true. And so thus, that has been our image of manhood. Again, I must note, out of fairness and out of accuracy, this is not, we are, we do not hold a patent on lack of vulnerability. Right. It's right. also true in many other cultures. Many cultures, men don't show anything, but it comes from a different space. No, I, I, I totally agree. And, and, and we also have to say to the listeners out there, we are not a monolith. And so this, this, this variance in the ability to be vulnerable, uh, stems from our experiences or the the lack of us being able to be vulnerable stems from those experiences that we may have had and so that that leads me to this 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 understanding or question of you is that what are we facing right now as men that require us to be vulnerable as you've talked about we we've, we've had to be strong we've had to stand up we've had to be the face of our families but right now what are we facing that requires us to be vulnerable so that we can move towards a healthier masculinity. Well, I can't find a thing that you can do through stoicism that you can't do better when you're emotionally connected to it. That's your word. Go ahead, preach, brother. I like that. I love that. Even warfare requires some level of emotion. It doesn't mean you'd be out on the battlefield crying, but being deeply passionate caring about the outcome. That's an emotion. See, I believe it was actually Dr. Brown who said that we have about 18 different emotions that we feel, but most of us only tap into three of them. So there's nothing that we do stoically that we can't do better with an emotional connection to it. But let's just break it down like this. I'll tell you a little bit about my life. So when I went through my experience with my father passing away, I looked at life and thought that I had strength when I was able to 
tap out emotionally. Like, I just didn't care. I learned how to not feel the pain that I was experiencing. So I remember saying those three words that we wish no young man would ever say, I don't care. Well, that to me was the only type of power that I saw or perceived power. Well, unconsciously, I was putting myself in the worst case scenario because when I had friendships or relationships, I would be so afraid to expose myself emotionally. You know, there's a time in every man's life when he meets a woman or what have you, a partner will say, um, in which that person, in which the only thing that is acceptable, the only thing that is authentic and true is I love you deeply. But if we're going through life so afraid to open up, we're going through life so afraid to not have control, because that's ultimately what it comes down to. Uh, when we have been hurt, the internal subconscious response is that we index on the other side looking to control that which was once taken away. We are trying to solve a scenario that has long since passed. Um, when that is our only response, we don't get to choose anymore when we turn it on and turn it off. And so our relationships with others don't go as deep. They're not as authentic. They're not true. You don't really get to experience the light, the width, the, the length, the depth of emotion. You don't get to experience saying, hey, you are my boy, and I hope and I will do whatever it takes for us to be best friends. I will do whatever it takes for me to be a great co-worker because I've got your back and you've got mine too. I'm going to be a great father even because I love you like I don't love anything or anybody else. And so we think that we can hedge our bets. We think that we can trick the system. But oh no, the system is much bigger than us and the system is much stronger than us. And so thus, if we go through life half turned on, and we never really get to experience all that life has to offer because we are only trying to protect ourselves, which we end up creating walls that keep ourselves trapped in. It's interesting that you say that, brother, is that we keep ourselves trapped in. We don't, we, we get hurt, and then we shut the door. It's interesting that you had on your Instagram a quote from uh, Dr. Brene Brown about sitting in your discomfort. And he's, uh, uh, if I can remember correctly, it says those who can sit in the discomfort are the ones that rise the fastest. What does that mean to you? What, do, what, does, that, what does that say to us? It, it, it's very easy for me. It means that there is a point in every journey in which self-reflection is required, in which you look at it and say, well, why is this happening? Do I deserve this? Am I good enough? Can I make it? And there is no clear-cut answer. And it's for those who are able to sit and examine themselves and understand what in, the, in their core is their why, their reason for continuing, it's those people who are willing to undergo the change and the molding that pain will bring you the lessons that it will teach you is those people who are willing to fail and yet still be kind and gentle with themselves and still be constructive even in the midst of having failed who rise the highest. That 
pain and failure are a prerequisite for success. Pain and failure. But as they say, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. If you know how to fail forward by being willing to go through it because you have the right psychology, the right conversation, which comes from being connected with yourself, then you go through it and it doesn't stop you where you are. But that takes a level of self-awareness. And many of us don't even go there to even think about who we are. The interesting thing about my regimen in the morning, Jonathan, is that the first thing I do before I get out of bed is that when I open my eyes, I ask myself, how do I feel? How does my body feel? How does my mind, my mind feel? What, what am I going through right now as I wake for the day to begin? It's that level of self-awareness that it has taken 45 years to really hone into. But sometimes that self-awareness can be so scary because you have to deal with, is there pain going on somewhere in my mind or in my body? Am I struggling with something? How can I handle that? So that level of self-awareness, that numbing that you talked about early, is that coping mechanism. I don't feel this pain. There's no struggle in my life. But that's the interesting thing. That you, what you're saying is that you have to be self-aware. You have to look in deeply inside of yourself to figure out what's going on. And if there is discomfort, what you're saying, Jonathan, is that you have to be able to sit there and be self-aware and figure out how to move forward. Is that what you're saying, Jonathan? 100%. Yeah, you have to be able to see yourself for who you are, even in the midst of the struggle. And what that requires is for you to have a level of self-awareness, that level of self-awareness that says, I am not my mistakes. I am. I may have failed, but I'm not a failure. I may have I messed up, but I'm not incapable. And there's a big difference between those who are able to speak to themselves constructively in the midst of the storm and those who are drowned in the storm. And it comes down to your own self-image that you create. I, I love what you said. You just have to know yourself. And you really get to know yourself. I just said this earlier in a, in a talk that I did here at Disney. I said, you don't really know yourself until you've been presented with a legitimate option to quit. Yeah, you wrote, yeah, I, I saw that on your, your, your Twitter and Instagram. And, and that's interesting because as many of us, and, and both of us are entrepreneurs, and you've been doing this much longer than I've had, I have. But I'm sure that in the space that you have been in, and you are quite successful, 40 Under 40, you've been on ABC News, um, you've been on uh, featured in Huffington Post, for Houston's 40 Under 40, I mean, all of these different accolades. But I'm sure that there was a point in this journey where you said, you know what, I'm going back to whatever I was doing before this. And it's interesting, you presented that option to quit, you're, or you presented to do something else that may not be in the path where you are right now. You're like, hmm, I may not be as successful. But you decided to move forward, because that's a vulnerable space right there when you're sitting in failure. Uh, I don't know if you listen to a show. Um, NPR has a podcast called How I Built This. Have you heard about it? I haven't. It's a very interesting podcast because you hear about how all the, 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 the 
current giants, Airbnb, Instagram, um, uh, the candle, the different candle makers, uh, how they have generated success. And I listened to the Airbnb podcast last night, and it was interesting listening to these two men talk about their story because they were broke. I mean, it, you think about Air, Airbnb. They were broke. They weren't making any money. And they began to actually sell cereal. And in the midst of trying to facilitate the success of Airbnb, they began to sell cereal. And so it was an opportunity for them to pivot, but they got, a, they got an opportunity. They could have gone somewhere else. In that moment of failure of Airbnb, and we know how big it is now, they could have pivoted to another direction. Mm-hmm. But they got this opportunity and said, you know what? I'm going to stay steadfast to what I believe in. So as you said, when you have the opportunity to quit and you choose not to, in that most vulnerable state is when you have to realize that I can. But if you don't recognize that vulnerability, if you want to be stoic, if you, you, can, you, you say that I can't fail, then you're going to lose. And I think, Absolutely. I think for many of our young brothers, as they are experiencing different things, they're experiencing obstacles as we see many of our young men face, many of the obstacles that you and I have faced as we have developed in their most vulnerable states, they're not sitting there. They're not sitting in the discomfort. And too often we're seeing deleterious outcomes because of not being able to sit in that discomfort. And that's a problem. And we have to, we have to try to incite our young men that it's okay to be vulnerable. That it's, o- that it's okay. I know you've got to go. I know you only gave us 30 minutes, brother, and I, I, I totally appreciate the time that you've given us. But for my listeners, for both the men and women who are listening, could you just drop them a little pieces of knowledge, little strategies that they can do to be vulnerable and to be able to believe in that vulnerability, that they can sit in, sit in it? What is something that you would prescribe for them? Very simply, you are at your greatest when you are being your realist. You have to be in a space in which you can be honest with yourself to say, I'm going to set boundaries and say, I'm good with this and I'm not good with this. Because when you do that, you have a sense of power. I believe it was Oprah Winfrey in her 25th season of her show when she said, something that I've lived by ever since. She said, being at peace is a position of power. Mm. And it's not until you know yourself that you can establish the boundaries that you can live from. And not only for yourself, but also for the people to say, this is okay. And this is what I need. It's okay to say, this is what I need from you right now. Because it's not until you can say, this is what I need, that you can actually get it from yourself and from the people around you. You are at your best when you're at your realest, being connected with who you are, being connected with what you really need in that moment. And also, hey, this is what I want to tell you. This is what I want you to know about who you are to me. This is what I want you to know about the impact that you've had on me. That's when you know that you've achieved or you're starting to walk in that space of your greatness. Because if you even look at the way that God operates, God talks to us all the time. God speaks to us in a love language. 
saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Well done, my good and faithful servants. God will tell us what he will affirm us in who we are and being our best self and living our best life is contingent upon us being willing to go in and be vulnerable, be open, being aware. That's it, is being aware of what you need and the contribution that you would like to make to the world and the people around you. That's what manhood is all about. That's what being a strong man is all about. Strong enough to be humble, to be honest, and to serve. Brother, I don't think that anybody could have said it better. Jonathan, thank you. Uh, I'm just so humbled and appreciative that you would take time to come on our show today to drop this wisdom and knowledge about how men, people, anyone listening can be vulnerable, to be aware, to be in space, to say what you need. Brother, good luck this week and next week. I know you're with Disney. I know you're you're doing big things, man. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And hopefully we can have you back on the show very, very soon because my listeners need to hear what you've got to say. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. I'm just turned 40 and I'm doing a big drive for the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Happy birthday, Jonathan.com. We raised over $50,000 toward ending domestic violence across the world. And I would love for your folks to come check it out uh, for every way that you participate. I give you back more than you give to me. We're going to do a, a lot of money uh, for these women and children who don't have to suffer in silence anymore. I'm 40, and we want to raise $100 for every year that I've been alive, which is $4,000, which is very doable. You just need a few people to step up and get involved and take a stand against domestic violence. With happy birthday, Johnson.com. Gotcha, brother. And we'll make sure we promote it on all our social media, brother. All right. All right. Take care, man. Thank Good you very luck. much. All right. You've been listening to the What's Your Revolution show. I'm your host, Dr. Charles Corporu. Supported by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. When we come back, my good friend Rita Bautista will be on telling us about her 21-day challenge to vulnerability. Welcome back. I appreciate all the listeners staying with me today. I want to thank my good friend Jonathan Sprinkles for coming on the What's Your Revolution show. You're listening to WBOK 1230. I am Dr. Corpru, and this is the What's Your Revolution show. As I said before the break, Rita Bautista, my good friend, is here to continue this conversation about vulnerability. Uh, Rita is the government relations specialist representative for the Home Builders Association of... Greater New Orleans. Greater New Orleans. I was going to say Louisiana. Rita, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Uh, (laughs) uh, Rita and I have been trying to get her on the show for uh, a a number of weeks to uh, basically talk about her revolution. So the first question we always ask the guests, Rachel, is, is, is what's your revolution? So I had to think about this for a second right before, um, but I think my revolution that I've, I've come to kind of have is like a second nature thing that I do on a regular basis is um, be heavily involved in the community. Um, I am on a t- a numerous amounts of boards, whether it's um, educational or mentorship organizations, um, to the arts programs. 
Um, and with all of these organizations, I tend to do my best to try to raise some funds for them. And most recently, I signed on to do the um, upcoming Crescent City Classic. It's a 10K. I used to be a runner. I unfortunately had to stop for a little while because I got injured, but decided that, well, if I'm going to run and I'm going to do this race, I might as well raise some money at the same time. And initially, the goal was to raise $200, and then I surpassed it three times and have now already raised over $1,000 in less than seven days. So I'm really excited. And Charles also agreed um, to give donations. So thank you so much. I, I did. Time. I, I did. I'll use uh, some of uh, my producer's money. <laughs> well, I want to give a good shout out to Rachel Graham. Just thank you for all that you do to make this show happen. Appreciate you so much. Um, interesting that you said that, you know, you're doing something now. Your personal revolution um, is getting back to running. And now you're using that, the, the impetus to start running to save somebody else. So I believe that's a wonderful revolution. And I think we all need to think about that. How do we continue to transform ourselves, but in the midst of that, ensure that we are a beacon of light for someone else, for another organization, for just someone we don't even know. But they might see us in the street and they might say, you know what, I want to be like Rita Bautista. I mean, I hear that a lot. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's interesting that you say that. So I did this 21-day challenge, right? And it was a video challenge where I had to go and use Facebook Live. And at first, when I first started doing it, I was really, really nervous about it. So I was like, oh, my God, all these people that I haven't seen in a long time or, you know, maybe professional um, professional relationships or my aunt or, you know, whoever can actually see me being open and honest about these questions that were being asked during that time. And what I found was the complete opposite, where I was out in public and people would be like, oh my God, I'm watching your videos and it's so, so amazing that you're doing this. I'm really excited. Like, you know, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe that you're you're being very open with, with everyone about, you know, answering these questions. So like, I've watched them. Even yesterday, I had somebody come, come to me and was like, I can't believe you did this, but it's so cool and, and let me know when the next round is, so. That's not bad. I mean, I I think that was one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show, because I saw what you were doing. It was interesting. And just a little history about uh, Rita and myself. We are part of an audience advisory committee for the Contemporary Arts Center here in New Orleans. And we met and... um, for the first time, I guess several months ago, we were able to hit it off and have a good conversation. Uh, she joked me about my first, middle, and last name, and that I was very regal name. <laughs> you know, uh, Charles Sumner Corporate the Third is very, you know, unique and regal and whatever. But um, but we had a good time, and so it was interesting watching her actually put herself out there to do this. So, why did you start? This 21-day challenge. So uh, one of my best friends is dating this woman that lives in New York. She's a phenomenal woman. She's a VP of a hotel chain and works in their marketing department. Well, she had picked up the 21-day video challenge with Jen Letterer, and I saw her go through maybe two or three of the videos, and I was like, within three videos, there was a dynamic change in her confidence and a boost of just energy and I was like, you know what? It's a brand new year, and I know everyone starts off being like, this year, 2017 is going to be my year, da-da-da, whatever. But the reality is, is I think sometimes you, you look for that one thing that you want to actually challenge yourself with at the beginning of the year. And what better challenge than to be vulnerable and put myself out there? And I was like, if I've been able to see a change in somebody 
within three days, how, how much difference can I see in myself within 21 if I can keep this and continue going with it? So. Sounds good. So were you able to see some changes? When, when was your aha moment well, you know, so during this period of time? So it's interesting, right, because I actually took a pause between. So the 21-day challenge. Thank you for your vulnerability and telling. Yeah, well, I have to be honest. You know, that's one thing that all my friends know about me is I'm a very honest and genuine person. So I try to be as upfront about things as possible. And I think one of the things that I did pick up about this challenge was like, okay, I got to a point where there's a direction in marketing, and this was more geared towards, and I didn't realize it until pretty much closer to the end of the challenge, that it was a very marketing-based kind of, how are you going to shape your message? What's your revolution, more or less, right? There you go. Say that again. Say that again. What's your revolution? Jack, your corporate. No, um, so, so I'm, I'm sitting here and I finally like jump ahead because I was really trying to do my best to like make sure it was a surprise every day. And I go to jump ahead and I was like, oh my god, I'm about to go on on the road for like almost three weeks. I had vacations planned and, and a pretty intense workload for the next three weeks. And I said, this is going to be impossible for me to do while I'm doing all of this and I'm, I'm skiing. And, you and know that was about to come out of my Exactly. Exactly. While I'm skiing and doing all this stuff, I was like, Skiing oh in Vail. She went to Vail. He's just mad because he didn't come. But um, so I'm, you know, I'm like, there's no way I can do this while trying to also focus on unfocusing right because that's what you do when you go on vacation just try to like unfocus yourself and I was like you know I committed myself to doing this I was really uncomfortable with the fact that I didn't finish it but I think that that's like a perfect example of what we do in life like you always feel like your path is going to be straight on right but you don't account for the other things that are coming at you at the same time and there's nothing wrong with taking a pause, giving yourself time to refocus, and then starting over again with an actual clear vision. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things I got an opportunity to do while I was doing these 21 slash two and a half months. Um, 48 days. 48 days challenge. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not going to beat myself up over it, you know. And I think that's a perfect example of when we're talking about vulnerability is, like, you know, I think a lot of people have this huge fear which is what the, the root of vulnerability is, right? right? Like you're scared of what this other person is gonna do to you and whether it's physical or emotional. And, and at the end of the day, you're basically beating yourself up for no reason because a lot of this is all, all internal. That, that, I think that's the key point is that vulnerability or that fear of vulnerability um, is our perceptions of what the scenario or the situation or the person that we are opening up or opening our our behavior up to is right. going to say. Um, and once we get past that, hopefully, if we can get past that, we might be able to see ourselves in a different light. Um, still want to hear that 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 aha moment. When, when, what was it? You know, and I've watched the videos and, and, and saw, you know, as you even started it, like, I'm on this journey and I'm really, really nervous. Yeah. You said that in the beginning. Right. So that that in itself was a vulnerable moment. I'm nervous to do this. Oh, yeah. And I began thinking about it. I was like, could I do this myself? You know, and I'm always the one that talks about vulnerability, and vulnerability comes up every week well, on the yeah. show. It doesn't matter what we're talking about, that word comes up. But I was like, can I actually do 21 days of on Facebook Live of me talking? And I'm like, why? And I get in front of people all the time, but I was like, mm, I don't know. But what was that aha, like that you saw a shift in you? Where was it? I think it was the first time that I got somebody to come up to me and tell me that they had actually seen the videos. Because I think 
you know, at first you're just kind of just posting, right? Like everyone posts words and, and it's, you know, or a picture or like a quick video, but it's not something that's live. It's not you being seen in, in a raw moment, right? And and I at first I was like, oh, well, it's just me in my house and I'm posting this and I'm not thinking that anybody's really absorbing any of it. Well, I had a, so I don't necessarily always talk about my family's history, but my family owned a circus in Honduras. Oh, and so, wow. yeah, and, and that's the crazy, like, oh, wow. Like, we get that every time. And when I was younger, I was really nervous about talking about it because of my friend's parents were different. They were doctors, lawyers, whatever, but they weren't circus people. But now that I lead with that, people are like, wow, that's so cool. You have right. such an awesome right. history. Right. Like, tell me about the circus. And I'm all like... This person not only came up to me about me putting myself out there on a video, but they're also like extremely intrigued by the fact that my family has this awesome history. And I think we're getting a lot more comfortable with our family, like talking about it and being more open about who we are, what our history is, where we come from, and the things that we were able to accomplish because of this. And it's like one of those, it's just kind of one of those reassuring things, like you're on the right path, although sometimes we don't always know exactly where we're going. Um, just little things like that really kind of reassured you. So I, it was that moment when that person came up to me and she was like, I can't believe your family on the circus. I was like, I can't believe you're actually watching me. I don't know. What, you know, is there not a good reality TV show online? That you you know, are the reality. I, I am the reality. Exactly. I created my own reality yeah, TV Exactly. Show. The Rita Bautista show. 120 people to watch. <laughs> if anybody would like to endorse me first, I'll totally take it. <laughs> the real world with Rita Bautista. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Interesting thing you talk you know, people are watching, but they also get to see the diversity of our society, the diversity of our world. So, like you said, we have these expectations that are placed in our minds and our thought process, like lawyers, doctors, all of these teachers, right. just different things. And then you hear something like, wait a minute, this shocks the system. Right. But these are narratives that are that play out every day for families. And so we have to be able to understand it. And you highlighting that. The bonus, like you said, at first you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about right. my family being in circus right. or having the circus. Um, but it highlights that diversity. Definitely. You know, and that's a, that is a beautiful thing. And I think more stories about the diversities of our families have to be told so we can actually think about bringing our country back together. You Absolutely. know, and in this period of time where we are very divided, <laughs> very divided. In our neighborhoods, in our schools, you know, at the grocery store. I mean, you've seen videos yeah, of in people. In our thought process, yeah, like everything exactly. Is, you know, and I think that definitely plays back to the vulnerability thing. Mm -hmm. Is I think people were a lot more, they were a lot more prone to hide it, and now they're kind of playing off of, well, now I can be vulnerable, but I can be more honest about the way I actually think, right. which is a good and a bad thing. It is now. You're not wondering, oh, does this person think this way about me? You're more like, oh, okay, so you, now you're being upfront with me. And you're being very <laughs> honest. Now I can either choose to use this as a negative or a positive thing. And I think we're at a very interesting shift where we can use this in a very positive way. Okay, now I know what you think about me. So what am I going to do to move this forward and change the, di the dialogue? Mm -hmm. How can I change the way that you're thinking about me? Well, do we have to do that? Do we have to change that person's thought process about well, us? Well, maybe not their thought process, but you have to think about the people that are coming after us, right? Right, that's so true. So we are the pioneers mm -hmm. of the thought process. Like, we can change 
we can revolutionize the way that people think. <laughs> and it's not necessarily always a great way or, or, or a good thing or a good feeling to be like, well, I have to change this thing. Like, nobody, not everybody wakes up every morning and feels that desire to want to change everything, mm -hmm. right? Because the easiest thing for me to do is mm -hmm. use something that somebody has already created. Right. Right. It makes exactly. my life a lot easier. Mm -hmm. I don't want to push get the up. wheel down the road. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, I'm an iPhone forever now. You know. <laughs> so like. Too bad for you, but. Yeah, but it's you know I think one of the most important things that you can do to leave your mark on the world is even if it's something so simple, you you give somebody the opportunity to change the way that they look at you cool. or the perception of. A group of people. Right. You listen to WBOK twelve thirty. This is the What's Your Revolution show. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. Listening to the sounds of my good friend Rita Bautista. She talks about her twenty one day challenge, opening up about vulnerability. Um you just talked about how do we shift the mindsets. Um, and I wanted to go back for one second because you said when people what we're seeing in our country right now is more people vocalizing Maybe the anger that they had while you know they had to deal with eight years of uh, President Barack Obama, is that vulnerability or is that privilege? Well, I think we can also see it with the way that people feel about the current president as well. I mean, people are vocalizing themselves on both sides of the fence. Um, you know, that's true. I think that's it's true. very, a good point. it's very, it's very apparent on social media. You can mm -hmm. see it on a regular basis and. Whether it's Trump or the other president, whoever the president is, I think that there, when I was growing up, I grew up in Maryland. So there was this huge respect for government in general. Didn't matter if you were pro or against, you always had some patriotism and also respect for the administration regardless. Now, as an adult, you look at things and you say, well, I have the ability to change these things. How am I going to do that? Um, and it's not necessarily always posting a meme of a president looking <laughs> right. like a, a behind. You know? like it, it sucks as much as it's actually pretty amusing. It's not necessarily the image that you should be portraying if what you're dissatisfied with is not necessarily the person. Maybe you're dissatisfied with the people that put him there. That's true. And I think the vulnerable, the vulnerable piece of this, particularly when we're vocalizing this, is if we can detail our pain. That goes along with that. I think in the, in the vulnerability, of, particularly when you are in this resistance movement um, against the current policies, uh, the, thoughts, the thought mindsets, even sometimes the heart sets of people, if we can detail our pain in a, in a collective and thoughtful process, I think that comes from a place of vulnerability. That Absolutely. this is going to cause pain or this has caused me pain. And you know, for us, black and brown folks, we have a history yeah. of pain in this country and outside of this country. Oh, yeah. You know, and so it always is very interesting to me when I hear people's stories. And um, for me, I've spent the last three years uh, listening to people's stories as a Kellogg fellow. And, and, and sadly, Last week was the end. I know, tears, tears. Shout out to my Kellogg fellows. Um, last week, we, we've ended three years of leadership training. We did not end our time together. But what I've been able to experience over this period of time is 24 different stories uh, of people who are black, brown, Jewish, gay, straight, all the intersections of everything, old, young, and there's a tremendous love affair that we have for each other and a tremendous uh, ability to sit in our vulnerabilities with each other 
and, and love regardless. And if we could just, you know, pick that up. You know, what has happened over the last three years with these 24 people and push that movement out to our country? I think that we would be a better place. Everybody, you know, and and and, and thought different thoughts in, in, in policy and in politics. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting um, hearing the conversations about Airbnb that go along yeah. the, that yeah. that. You know, it, that would yeah. be interesting to talk with you about right. it. Yeah, yeah. It, like, is this the show? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But to hear the thought processes uh, about Airbnb, Airbnb, that you know are parallel—not parallel, but may be diverse in how people see it. Because some of the Kellogg fellows have Airbnb, others don't, and others are not forward, and others are like, "Hey, this is an opportunity for stimulating." Exactly. It's evolution. I mean, I think the thing is, is that everything evolves, right? Everything changes, and as people, we're not comfortable with change. As much as we would like for it to be something that we want, we're not comfortable with it. It's easier for me to have a very simple conversation mm-hmm. with somebody than it is for me to invoke fear or or actual thought right it's it's easier for me to just go daily and and enjoy something that's continuously the same but if somebody comes and interrupts that then it's like well wait a minute who are you and what are you trying to do and so that i'll leave it at that well no (laughs) yeah exactly but you, you spoke to that change is most often uncomfortable and the vulnerability of that is that when you can't sit in the discomfort, you want to try to fill it with something else. And that discomfort is the most vulnerable state that you can be in. You know, and if we play it now, you know, the brothers and sisters who are listening to the show and the brothers are like, come on, corporate, give it, bring it to us for a second, you know. And too often as black men we don't sit in the discomfort you know with those ex, you know with exposure to racism and discrimination issues with our workplace environment our relationships with uh, our loved ones whether they be men or women it becomes uncomfortable you know i got to have this uncomfortable conversation with my loved one and you know what i really don't want to have it right now but if we can sit in the discomfort uh particularly as Brene Brown and as Jonathan said on the show earlier it makes life a little bit easier. You can be more successful if you can sit in the discomfort. So let's bring this back to you for a second. When did it become, when was the most uncomfortable situation doing your 21 day challenge? I think it was when I had to actually make an actual point of what I was doing. Like, for the first 15 days, it was continuous conversation, questions, answers. You're getting to know me. You're understanding my character. You're understanding who I am as a person. I'm basically building you up to the plot at this point, right? And then, boom, day 15, she's like, well, you need to make this targeted towards a certain direction. And what are you going to do? What's going to be your call to action? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I thought I was just going to I could just here. get up here for 21 days and run my mouth. Yeah, exactly, as I normally do very well. But, you know, I was like, okay. Now this has to have a direction, and now I have to figure out what I'm going to do with this and how I'm going to use this as an actual, I wouldn't say as like a marketing piece, but something that I can hold myself accountable to. And I made an affirmation to myself, and I also made two goals live publicly, which now I have to actually hold myself to. Um, I didn't actually set a complete deadline, which I almost feel like I should have. We can set it right here on the show. Well, we can wait. Um, <laughs> we can set it right here on the show since you <laughs> right here live. Like, Charles said, <laughs> Rita can put the deadline out. Um, but you know, and it's also 
one of those things where it's like, you know, professionally, I had to make a goal for myself. Personally, I had to make a goal for myself. And that wasn't part of the challenge. It was something that I chose to hold myself to. And that was a very scary moment. It's like the, the oh, I can't say it on the radio. Crap. Yeah, oh, crap. <laughs> but, you know, I had that moment. I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Like, how am I? I didn't think that this was the challenge. But the reality of it is, like, I signed up to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to finish it. And that's, you know, I'm one of those people. Like, I'm scared of heights, but I'll still go bungee jumping and skydiving. Like, I and mean, skiing. And skiing. Yeah. But she was on the bunny slope. She did say that. I, I just did, want everybody but, to know. But have you ever been on those lifts? Those lifts? Yeah. No, like, no seatbelts, no uh, Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Beaver Creek, like 11,944 feet up in the air. I think Vail's a little higher. No, I don't know about that. But, yeah. But, <laughs> Um, yeah, so so that was my moment, and, and it definitely, um, and then playing back to your revolution, right? So it's it's definitely one of those move, the moments where you're evolving, and, and I'm changing, and I'm learning how to move forward with, with this challenge that I didn't think was going to push me that far. And sometimes you need that. Sometimes you, you're right. Sometimes you need the challenge. So I'm not going to let you get away from your goals. So what were the two goals that you set? Uh, okay, so I think overall, well, not I think, I'm working towards writing a book about my family, whether it's directly written around um, a specific person or if it's written on a global perspective of how the circus is. I have another cousin who's actually working on potentially um, writing a children's book okay. um, around the circus life and everything. And so um, I've started uh, very elementary stages of writing a book, but um, brainstorming and getting these ideas out of my head as opposed to like staying up till three, four in the morning and like <laughs> overthinking it, right? Like I'm just writing whatever comes to my mind down and then I'm going to hopefully use that to shape my book in the future. Oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, that. it's on the radio and we have a recording. <laughs> Charles is going to find funding for it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, she loves to throw right. me under the bus Thank quickly. Right. Uh, what was the second goal? And the other one was to work towards being a VP of government relations for Fortune 500 company. Okay. So, if you know Rita Bautista, you know she's gonna make that happen um, <laughs> because you're gonna see her at some gala or at some event, and you know she knows how to make her network. You know what do they say? What's the your network is your neck net worth? Net worth, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Rita is probably one of the most connected people that I know here in the city. So, oh, thanks. The last the the last thing I want to um, talk about is that this whole thing, hopefully, has been transformational for you. Um, I, I would think so. Yeah. Particularly one, you started, you were honest with yourself, like, okay, I can't finish this right now, but I'm going to finish that. Mm -hmm. So what's the message? You, you said part of this is, is determining your own personal message. Um, you know, for me, it was listening to, uh, um, Tom Friedman, New York times columnist at my graduation. That's how, what's your revolution, you know, oh. came about for you. It sounded like doing this 21 day challenge allowed you to start your own personal brand, your own message. So what is that? You know, I'm still trying to figure okay. that out. I think I need to do a review of all the videos. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm almost in the, at that moment where I need to recap everything that I was working on. But I, I personally believe that a lot of myself came out on that. And, and it, sometimes it's just like personal reflection. And the fact that I have all these videos now, I can look back on myself and be like, okay, this is what really defines you. And what's funny, I'm a huge Ravens fan. I'm a massive Baltimore Ravens fan. Everybody who knows me knows this. And I didn't realize that that was also being portrayed on the videos. Because the majority of the time, I would go work out, and then I'd sit down at my table. With your Ravens with gear. Whatever, whatever. And normally, I'm like, okay, I don't wear this out, norm, you know, unless it's a Sunday. And I'm like, I didn't realize that a lot of the things that you're doing consistently um, 
are already communicated without you even trying it. So I had somebody that was responding to me while I was live about the Ravens, and they asked me, I was like, this is not what this is about. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, one, being a community advocate. Mm -hmm whatever I can get myself involved in to give back to the community. I'm not like super wealthy yet, but once I do get to that point, she said, yeah, like brothers, you heard be. that. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my, that's one of my revelations, right? I'm going to be wealthy. Um, but you know, once I get there, I want to take that with me, that sense of always being a community advocate and being involved and giving back. Um, the other one is making sure I'm setting goals for myself and continuously checking back in and making sure that those goals that I've already potentially put out there, I'm, working towards that so everything that i do is moving in that direction right so writing this book getting, getting i'm, I'm looking right. i'm looking forward to uh reading this book and that's the great thing about vulnerability is that you've got to be able to when you are sitting in it you've got to be able to write down goals understand that i need to fulfill them and if i fail what happens. Right. Yeah, and that's the key thing. Rita, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. I want to thank uh, Jonathan Sprinkles for all of the wisdom that both of you have dropped today. You know, where can so where can we get in touch with you? Give me a couple last words. Yeah, definitely. So one thing for sure, if anybody's interested in doing the 21 Day Challenge, um, 21 Day Video Challenge starts again in April. You can go to genletterer.org or .com. I'm sorry, genletterer.com. Um, and sign up for her newsletter. It's an amazing um, opportunity. I think anybody who's interested in also learning how to use a social media platform to create their own marketing and branding can do that. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, I mean, you can go to Rita at home-builders.org, Rita at home-builders.org, or you can reach me through my social media channels, which is uh, Rita Bautista on Facebook and then Rita underscore E underscore Bautista on Instagram. So, yeah. Exactly. And if you want to check out her uh, 21 Day Challenge, check out our Facebook page. Facebook, yeah. It's amazing. I've watched them. She's an amazing person. So um, we want to thank everybody for listening today. This is uh, the What's Your Revolution show, WBOK, 1230 AM. I'm the host, Dr. Charles Corporate. We will see you all next week. Always, always want to give a shout out to the W.K. Kellogg Foundation for their long-lasting support of our show. Enjoy yourselves this week. Take care.